John chapter 7 is where we're going to be continuing in our study of God's Word, walking through the Gospel of John. And I love the gift of this Gospel and love that we've been able to walk through it. We're going to walk, uh, actually pick up in verse 25 today and walk through verse 36 of chapter 7. And the theme of our Word this morning is that time is of the essence. And it could be that that is a phrase that you have said. It could be a phrase that you have heard, a phrase you're familiar with. Time is of the essence. And what I didn't realize about that phrase is that it is actually, it's a legal term. It's a courtroom term. And basically what it means, it's a legal phrase used to specify a time period that involved parties must complete their contractual obligation. So in other words, in my lingo, that's another way to say, listen, you have a certain a window of time. You have a window of time. There was a start point. There will be an end point, And your decision is to make a decision in that, in that window of time. The time is ticking. Time is of the essence. When I, uh, this has been several years ago, but the church that I had the privilege of serving at down in Florida, the Lord led us here. Uh, I had the opportunity to be a part of planting another campus of our church. And so we were planting a new work that was in a, a neighboring neighborhood that was a need of a gospel witness, and so had an opportunity to be a part of that. And as a part of that, I was able, uh, my bride and I actually were able to go to, uh, it was called a church planters assessment. The North American Mission Board uh, would, would call you away, and of all places, it was in Detroit, Michigan. Went to Detroit, Michigan, and it was just this kind of weekend-long, just submersive experience in, in, in training and experiential learning and and, uh, and, and even like question and answer times and, and, uh, and just a lot of training through church planners. And the reason I share this is because there was this one trainer and it was towards the end of our, of our training. And, uh, and it, it was interesting. Like you could tell before long, like this guy that was training us, he was just a very driven individual, um, very focused, very purposeful with everything. Like you could just tell uh, he was just wired uniquely and wired differently. And, and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe that's you. You're like the super driven uh, or we know folks that are super driven. Well, it didn't take long. This guy was super driven and it wasn't long. He was telling us about himself and he told us about this app on his phone that he looks at every day. And so it's called the Time Left app. And so I actually downloaded it. Normally when I come to, to church, I, I get my phone and I pack it away in my desk for the day. But, but I actually, I wanted to bring it with you because I downloaded this app and it's called the Time Left app. So you can go to the app store, you can download the Time Left app and uh, it'll ask you if you're male or female, it will ask you when your birthday was, it'll ask you what country you're in and then, it, and then it gives you basically a countdown for how many days, hours, even minutes, even seconds you have to live on planet earth. So, so as I'm looking at this right now, my time left, it says I have 33 years, four days, one hour, 14 minutes and 44 seconds. <laughs> That's my time. And then I can click on another button and it says on June 29th, 2055, that I will die at 1238 PM. And last night, I was talking to my kids, and they're like, what? What, what, what are you talking about? I was like, no, it's just an, it's just an app. It's just an app. Okay, and just so you know, I'm not, 
I'm not placing my mortality in this app, okay? Um, but, but it is interesting how uh, this fella in particular used this as a reminder, basically, that, that we all have a limited amount of time. That time is of the essence in our lives. That as much as we live life and, 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 and even younger, kind of this idea of just kind of bulletproof and there's, there's nothing that can stop me or phase me. But rather, as we grow older, we understand, I think, more and more just how precious the gift of time is. And Jesus is going to remind us in our text this morning that he's going to give us a powerful truth as it relates to time. And the main idea of the message today is that we all have a limited amount of time to respond to Jesus Christ. We all have a limited amount of time to respond to Jesus Christ. So just a heads up before we jump into the passage. Um, this is taking place at what's known as the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also known as the Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Shelters that this was one of three Jewish feasts where Jews from all over would go into Jerusalem and they would celebrate these feasts. This one, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, was said to be the most joyful of all of the feasts. And so they would look so forward to coming and, and celebrating. And it was called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles because it was like a week-long camp out. Uh, the families would build shelters out of branches and they would move out of their homes for that week and they would set up a booth, uh, like a lean-to on their home, or if they had a rooftop, they would, they would build a shelter up top. And, and as they would celebrate this feast, they would be reminded of God's faithfulness and God's provision to his people as he led them through the wilderness under the stars uh, and the wilderness wanderings, ultimately leading and guiding them to the promised land. And so it's at this feast that Jesus shows up about midway through and the Bible tells us that he went to the temple, the temple there at Jerusalem. It was a 35 acre complex. It was massive. And, and on this 35 acre complex called the Temple Mount, they would have, they would have covered porches. And it would be under these covered porches because it would be really hot during the day that rabbis and, and folks would come and they would, they, would, they would teach and they would share scripture and they would share stories and, and people would come and they would listen. Well, Jesus comes. And Jesus begins teaching. And the Bible says that they marveled as he, as he taught the scriptures. That he teaches as one that has an authority that's way different than anybody else has ever taught the scriptures. And it's because the scriptures were authored by him. These are the divinely authored, inspired words of God. And so as he's teaching with such authority, and they're marveling that, that you're, you can imagine... There's all kinds of reactions to, to Jesus and to his teaching. And that's the first observation I want us to see is that there is no shortage of differing reactions to who Jesus Christ is. There were no, there were no shortage of differing reactions then. There's no shortage of differing reactions now. That it could be where you live, work, and play. That you are going into a place and you were just kind of call a timeout on life and say, okay, everybody, we have a one question quiz. And that question is, what is your reaction to Jesus? You're probably going to pick up on many different reactions. And so in verse 25 of John 7, the Bible says this. 
It says, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is this not the man who may seek to kill? So Jesus has been teaching. They're marveling. He's teaching with authority. They're listening to what he's saying. And there's all kinds of reactions. Earlier in John chapter 7, some said he was good. Some said he was the deceiver. That there are religious leaders that are kind of behind the closed curtain. They are developing methodically their plan and plot to assassinate or to kill Jesus. They want to get their hands on him. They want to murder him. And so as they're figuring out their plan, no doubt there's murmuring that's spreading among the city. There's whispers that are going on. What is going on? And they're like, isn't this the one? Isn't this the one they're seeking to kill? So why in the world did they want to murder him in the first place? He was a threat. Matter of fact, probably it was just a year earlier at the same feast. We don't know which one for sure, which feast, but John 5 tells about a feast in Jerusalem. And Jesus went to the feast as was his custom. And he went to a place in Jerusalem called the Pool of Bethesda. And at the Pool of Bethesda, he healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years of his life. And in that moment, he brought complete and miraculous, instantaneous healing to this man. And his healing took place, and this is a significant detail, on the Sabbath day. And so when the religious leaders saw what Christ was doing on this Sabbath day, they lost it. They lost it. Matter of fact, John 5 verse 18 says, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So you got all kinds of different folks in the crowd. In verse 26, and here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Like they're hearing the whispers, the murmurs of a murder plot attempt. And they're like, but he's, he's speaking openly. I love how one person said the, the religious leaders are speechless and the Messiah, the Christ is fearless. He's speaking with power. He's speaking with authority. The Bible said he's speaking openly. That word openly, another word is boldly or confidently, authoritatively. And I love this encouragement because don't we as believers today need courage? Don't we need courage? I mean, we're not asking for a show of hands right now or doing an open mic, but I wonder how many of us could say that there's been those moments and times in our lives where we were at a moment in a conversation where we could, we could sense the nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, just share, just share. Or we're on that plane and we're sitting beside this person or we're at the grocery store, it's somebody we work with and the scene is set and there's all the circumstances seem right. We just, for lack of boldness, lack of courage, lack of power, we just decide to, we decide to, decide to hold it to ourselves. And I love the example of Jesus to us to pray for courage. He was bold. So what a great prayer to pray as believers that we would be courageous and be bold. Not to be mean and hateful, but to be bold. Peter said this in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. God knew that 
his followers. He knew we would need courage. He knew we would need power outside of ourselves. He, um, after he rose from the dead, he spent about 40 days pouring into his disciples, teaching them, pouring into them. And then he went to the Mount of Olives. And just before he ascended into heaven, he left these words with his disciples. He said, uh, now the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you in power and will empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He knew it would take courage to be a witness for him. He knew it would take courage to speak truth, his truth with authority in the hour that we live in. A little later in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were being, uh, were being bullied. They were being intimidated. They were being threatened. Uh, and what was their response to the threats of the Sanhedrin? They went back to their brothers and sisters in Christ in Acts 4.29. It's, they say this, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. What, they could have prayed for anything. God, make it like, keep us safe. They could have said, keep us safe. They could have said, help us not get hurt. But instead they said, give us courage. Give us boldness. I love at the very end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 30, 31. It's the last couple verses of Acts. Paul is there in Rome and his his time is coming to an end. And in the Bible says that he lived there two whole years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And I love that word without hindrance because the word of God is unhindered. You can't hinder the word. The word is authoritative. You can't lock up the word. The word is unhindered. The word is powerful. We can have confidence and, and, and uh, certainty in the power and the authority of God's word. And so this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is on the temple mount. He's speaking with authority. He's speaking with power. He's speaking boldly. He's speaking courageously. He's speaking openly. And in verse 26, they're continuing to talk. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Like, could, could it be? Could it be that they already know? In other words, they're thinking that the, you know, Jesus is speaking and everybody's silent. In their minds, they're thinking like, so maybe their silence means that they do believe in Jesus. Maybe, maybe this whole thing is, is just, uh, maybe they understand who he is. But I think we all know what's coming because it's going to be about six months from this point, there's going to be another festival. And that other festival is going to be Passover. Six months. This feast takes place September, October. In the spring around April time, the Passover feast is coming. This is when all the Jews gather in Jerusalem. The multitudes gather and they gather to celebrate the great miracle of the Old Testament. They gather as they slaughter sacrificial lambs and they do it as a reminder of God's grace and God's provision. But what's going to happen six months later is this plot to kill Christ is going to actually come to fruition in about six months. And as Christ makes his way to that Passover feast, it will be the last Passover feast in his earthly ministry because he has come as the true Passover lamb. He has come to be the sacrificial lamb without spot or without blemish that will be crucified and his blood will be shed 
so that all of those who place their faith and trust in him will be forgiven. So their silence does not their approval, but rather it's all the more pouring gasoline on the fire to rid, get rid of him, to get rid of him. And so the mob or the religious leaders, they're not trying to create a, a, a mob right now. Roman authorities are watching in. They're seeing what's going on. They're not trying to create a mob. Matter of fact, some of these people love Jesus. They hate him. Some love him. And so in verse 27, they're continuing to talk. And it says, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. And, and now, so they're like, I know this, just Jesus. He's the one from Nazareth. He's the carpenter's son. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. And so like, we know where he's from, but in their minds, they're like, nobody's going to know where the Messiah comes because nobody know where he comes from. And, and so this is a mixture of misinformation uh, misunderstanding and even superstition. And it's this tradition that was passed along. They would look at verses like, like a verse like Malachi 3.1. Here's what Malachi 3.1 said. It says, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to this temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So in their minds, they're looking for just out of the blue, suddenly, without anybody knowing anything, he's just going to show up the Christ. Another, that's another title for Messiah. The Messiah is going to show up. He's going to, you know, uh, activate the new world order, flip Rome on its head and rule and reign with the Jewish people. But the Bible is crystal clear on where the Messiah will come. The Bible tells us over in Micah, it's a verse we read around Christmas time often. But Micah 5, 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, and whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So I want us to kind of get this scene. There's a lot of people listening in. There's no shortage of reactions to who Jesus is. Some say good, some say deceiver. There's a plot to kill him going on behind closed doors. And there's all this murmuring. There's all this chattering. And there's these whispers. And all of a sudden, I love what the Bible says in verse 28. The Bible says, Jesus proclaimed. It's another way of saying that Jesus raised his voice. That Jesus cried out. Loudly, Jesus is going to speak above all the noise of of culture. And I and I love the application of this even to our day, because there is so much noise in our world. There's so much noise and it's all emotionally charged and it can be so loud. The voice of temptation, the voice of pressure. The voice of media is so loud, but yet Jesus in this, in this moment, he, he speaks above the noise and in his grace, I think he's inviting us to hear his voice above all of the noise. And he says in verse 28, that Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. And if you dig into the language in a modern reading, it would read more like this. So you think you know me 
and you think you know where I'm from, do you? It reads like a rebuke. He's correcting them. He's going to communicate who he is. And don't miss this. This is a group of people who treasure the Old Testament. This is a group of people who are all about the knowledge. These are people that pride themselves on knowing all of the answers. And what Jesus is saying is you are wrong. You are, you are wrong. Do you understand who I am? He goes on to say in verse 28, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. He, God, the father sent me. He's teaching them his divinity. He's teaching them his omniscience. He's teaching them that he is God. That God is one and he reveals himself in three distinct persons. That they are one in essence. But in scripture we see they are equal. They are one. But God always sends the son. The son sends the spirit. The spirit testifies of the son. The son carries out the will of the father. And so Jesus is communicating. Listen, I am I, the one. Hey, I'm sent by God. In other words, God didn't just show up in flesh in Bethlehem. He always has been. The disciple John who gave us this account, the very first verse out of the gate, he's writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. He writes this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And if you jump down to verse 14, you'll see that God says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled, among us. Verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him. I love this. But no one laid a hand on him. Because his hour had not yet come. You mean so they, they're trying to arrest him. But they can't because his hour had come. Absolutely. <laughs> In God's divine timetable. Tame, he's like. Yep. Everything is running exactly on time. This is, this is perfect timing. That the hour that he will, in just about six months, lay down his life willingly for his sheep. And the only one who has the power to raise it back. That he will lay down his life. That's his hour in about six months. But the hour isn't right now. This is such great confidence in our God and in his timing. Um, there was a song way back in the day. It just popped in my head. Actually, while I'm sharing this message, it was like, He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. I don't know who sang it, but it's in my head right now. But, but it's just like his divine timing is perfect. The time was set in eternity past. So God is carrying out his plan and everything is according to time. And they couldn't arrest him because his hour had not yet come. I love Job 42 too. It says, no purpose of God's can be thwarted. I love Proverbs 21, verse 30. There is no wisdom, no insight, no counsel that can avail against the Lord. And so here is the confidence and the peace that I have and believe with all of my heart is that no purpose of God's can be thwarted. And no matter what my app may say, and no matter if I have 33 years or three minutes, what I know is that I have a confidence that God will call me home 
when my purpose has been accomplished here. And there's an incredible peace that comes with God and His timetable. Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days. Moses says that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You ever play those board games and there's that little timer, the little sand thing, and the little sand drops. And like as the sand almost gets down to the end, you find yourself kind of like speeding up, trying to get that answer in, get that answer in. But like, but, but here, here's, the, here's the reality is that God's timing is perfect. And His hour has been set for all of humanity to experience salvation through Him. And so the Bible says, as we look in his word that he, he proclaimed and he was teaching in the temple. And that he was telling them and communicating who he was and that they were seeking to arrest him, but they couldn't. In the verse 31, the Bible says, yet many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, he will do more. Will he do more signs than this man has done? So here's what's beautiful, even in the midst of all the chaos of the moment. You have lifelong Jewish people who are repenting and placing their faith in Jesus. Like they are, they are giving up tradition. They are willing to be turned on by their families. Why? Because they understand and receive Christ as the Messiah. And so I love this. I love what's happening here. And in verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent offers to arrest him. And as far as we can tell, this is the first public aggression towards trying to lay hold and arrest Jesus. And so I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He says this, they were making an attempt to arrest Christ, but Christ arrested them. Because there's no shortage of reactions to Jesus but there is a shortage of time to respond to Jesus's invitation to eternal life. A shortage of time. Verse 33, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me because where I am, you cannot come. What Jesus is communicating, he's like, I'm only going to be here a little while longer. I'm, there's only a little time left for me to be here with you. Matter of fact, about six months. And so what he's, what he's confronting them with is this, is this crucial decision that every person must make. And that is to receive Christ or to reject Christ. That in a matter of months, he will come into the Passover celebration as the true and only Passover lamb. But he is telling them in this moment, there's just a little while longer for you. And all those who reject will not be able to come where he is going. And all of those who reject Christ will die in their sin and spend eternity apart from God. And in an incredible, incredible display of grace and mercy, he is inviting them with what time they have left to make the most important decision that they could ever make. And that is to repent and to receive him as their Christ, as their Messiah, as their Savior. Repent and believe while you, while you have time. You must make a decision while you have time left. 
And in verse 35, the Jews are they're talking to one another. And they said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Like they're thinking purely earthly. Like all they can see is just right in front of them. They aren't thinking in spiritual terms. They're thinking in earthly terms. The dispersion was a, was a, a word used to describe Jews that had been scattered uh, throughout uh, Palestine and, and the known world at that time, that over the centuries they were spread out uh, for all kinds of different reasons. So they're like, is, so is he going to the dispersion? So we can't see him. Is he going to teach Greeks? Which, by the way, is another reminder for the Jews just to turn up their hatred of Jesus that, that, that his good news would actually go to Greeks. And in a weird way, what they're saying, going to the dispersion and to teach the Greeks in a, in, a, in a way, that's exactly what is going to happen. It's exactly what's going to happen because six months from this moment, Christ will be crucified as the true Passover lamb. He will be placed in a borrowed tomb. He will raise on the third day, proving that he alone has the power to forgive our sin and to make us right with God. For the next 40 days, he's going to reveal himself to people. They see him. They can touch him. They can hear him. He's for 40 days going to pour into his disciples. But then we already read it once in Acts 1.8. He's going to ascend to the father's right hand. He's going to come back, but he's ascending. And when he ascended, what did he say? He said he wanted them to go to Jerusalem. He wanted to go have a prayer meeting. And it was after that prayer meeting, at which it was in a prayer meeting, that God birthed the church, which is just a beautiful picture of the power of prayer. But what did he say? You are going to receive power. My Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. Where in Jerusalem? Where in Judea? Where in Samaria? Where the ends of the earth? That this good news is going everywhere. That it is for every Jew. It is for every Gentile. This good news is for every country, every ethnicity, male, female, man, woman, boy, girl. It's for every class. It's for every language. There's no one that's excluded from this invitation of grace and forgiveness from our God. This invitation is for absolutely everybody. And here's what's amazing. The gospel made it to Olive Branch, Mississippi. He made it to you, made it to your ears, your heart, your family. Why? How? Because of faithful followers of Jesus who had courage and who had boldness, who had a power that was not of themselves, a power of the Holy Spirit. And they endured persecution. And where the persecution's whole point was to silence them it only magnified the power of the gospel message and sent him out through Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, into the ends of the earth. And ultimately, I don't know when it happened, but I'm pretty sure before Olive Branch became a town, the gospel made it here and he made it to our ears. And may we never get over God's grace and mercy that this good news has made it, has made it to us. And this good news is for all people. And what Christ is doing is he is reminding these listening of the brevity of life. He's helping them understand that there is only a small amount of time left. James describes it in James 4 as a vapor that's here for a moment and then it disappears. 
So for the believer, how does this passage impact our hearts? Well, I'm not saying go download the Time Left app and look at it every day, all right? That, that, that trainer did, but, but what, I do, what I do believe this passage calls out to us is to live with a sense of purpose, a sense of urgency, a sense that the sun is setting and we may not know how much time that we have, but while we still have daylight, God has empowered us to be a witness for his glory and so may I encourage us all, perhaps a prayer to build into our time with the Lord is a prayer of courage. That when we could pray for a lot of things, let's pray for courage. We could pray for safety and health and good things. And those are good things to pray for. I love that God tells us we can pray about anything. But may we pray for courage. God, give us a courageous spirit to step into those conversations when even though we may not have all the answers and even may the conversation may go somewhere we may not actually anticipate, but we would trust in the authority and the power of the word of God and speak openly as Jesus spoke openly with courage and with his power. And another challenge that we see here is just with the, 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 the work that God has, has entrusted us, steward us, it all looks different. We're all at different stages of life. We just had the blessing of a parent-child dedication, seeing that young, precious life. And thank you so much for allowing us that privilege to celebrate with you this morning. Precious Sophia Grace, precious. And I'm not gonna take a poll on who our most senior member is here in the room with us. But here's the thing, is that, is that time is no respecter of persons. You could be the leader of the free world, but he has just as much time, just as much as this limited resource as this precious little girl that we dedicate. Time is a limited resource. And so with the time that we have, let us be intentional to live on mission. Let us be intentional to live for his glory. Let us be intentional to know that even though like we're like, could God really use me? Yes, God can absolutely use you and desires to use you. It's what his word says. Just last hour, we did our Live Sent Becoming Pathway class. The focus of that is around Ephesians 2.10, which says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance that we would walk in them. So that's, why, that's one of those verses that we can latch a hold to and say, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And it's not, hey, wait until. It's now. It's today. It's today. So God help us. And, and, and with this time, that this little you know, time left, this idea of Jesus saying there's a, there's a little while longer for these. We have a limited amount of time to honor and obey him with those areas that he's clearly shown us. And that not only that, like God, help us with our priorities. It's so easy to get our priorities all out of whack. I told the first hour, there was a there was a year in my life not very long ago where my goal was to be the, 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 the top selling insurance agent in Corinth, Mississippi. <laughs> that was my priority. God had a different plan. <laughs> he changed that. And that's what we do when we bring our hearts and our plans yielded to him. I'm not saying he's going to call you to give up your job. I'm just saying he has a divine set of priorities. 
And those priorities are as follows. God first. Our love relationship with him impacts every area of our life. If there are things that we've allowed to get in and hinder our time, it's worth the discipline by his grace and his power to figure out how to hear his voice above the noise and to spend time in prayer. Loving God, so important. And a second, relationships. Relationships. They're so precious to God. Relationships with your spouse, relationships with your children, relationships with your friends, relationships with your family, relationships with uh, your, your co-workers, relationships with people that you cross paths with, that relationships are such a priority in the economy of God. So God help us with this time left to live intentionally and purposefully. But then I will also share that there is a there is a real and true invitation that Jesus in his grace is offering to these people whose hearts are far from them. And they've allowed knowledge to cloud the message of the Messiah and the divinity of Christ. And what Christ is inviting them to is you just have a little while longer. You have a little while longer to repent and to receive. The sun is setting. He says in verse 36 and and uh, we'll wrap up with this verse. But he says this, the people are still talking kind of in their earthly mindsets. And they said, what does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you can't come. What, what does that mean? It's an echo of Isaiah 55, 6 that says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jesus is telling them time is of the essence. Jesus is telling them you only have a limited of time left. I love how Paul says it. He says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In the text, soon it will be too late for these, these people to respond to the grace of God. It will be too late. And here we are centuries and centuries later reading the same text and the message holds true today is that there is a limited amount of time to respond to God's grace. And so the invitation is here. Believer, we're stewards of his time. God, give us courage, give us boldness. God, help with whatever we put our hands to that we honor him with that all the while valuing our, our priorities of our love relationship with Him and, and the relationships of those around us. God, help us to make the most of our time. But also for those who are living apart from a relationship. And I am, let me, let me, see, let me just share my heart. I, I hope you know this, like I am not, I'm not throwing fear tactics out here. I'm just throwing reality tactics here. We don't know. We don't know how much time. My app says 33 years. It could be three minutes. We don't know. But here's what we know. God in His grace and in His love and in His care, in His perfect timing, has come. And He has made Himself known. And He has laid His life down so that your sin could be forgiven. And that he was placed in a tomb and he rose the dead. He's the only, he's God. He's the only one who has the power to raise from the dead. Rose from the dead. 
And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he doesn't say, go get your act together first and go clean your life up first and go get these other things. And no, the invitation is always there to receive him. And so I just pray, if you're here living apart from a relationship, I just encourage you, time is ticking. And God's grace has been known to you. Would you respond to him and his grace? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. God, your word is so good, so authoritative, so powerful. It's living, it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Every verse, every word inspired, authoritative for our lives. There you are on the Temple Mount speaking openly, boldly, courageously, fearlessly with the authority and power of your word. People are marveling. And God, may we always marvel at your word. As believers, may we always make the most of the days that you've given us, the hours that you've given us. There's a little time left. There's a little daylight left. God, help us to honor you. Give us courage. Help us to be a light for you. And God, I do pray that if there's anybody here who does not have that personal relationship with you, that today is the day of salvation. That today would be the day where you set pride aside that you set the, well, maybe one day intentions aside and you hear the word of God, you hear the word of Jesus saying you only have a little time, that God, today would be the day that the lost would be saved. So God, I pray that you find our hearts sensitive to you, sensitive to your spirit, sensitive to your leading. And God, we understand time is of the essence and that we would use our hours and our minutes, God, to bring glory to you. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we wrap up our time this morning with a song of response. And that's exactly what this is. It's a time to respond. You can respond in your heart and in the quiet of that moment right where you're at. Hope you know you can always feel welcome if you feel led to, to bow even at your seat where you're at and just spend time with the Lord. You're always welcome to the altar. We'll have pastors here who would love to pray over you and encourage you in that way. But let's pray and let's be obedient to how God would lead us this morning. God, we love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this word. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. May we be obedient to you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.